Chapter Five of Farewell Nicola by Guy Boothby. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five. The more I thought upon my strange visit to the Palace Ravici that evening, the more puzzled I was by it. It had so many sides, and each so complex, that I scarcely knew which presented the most curious feature. What Nicholas' real reason had been for inviting me to call upon him, and why he should have told me the story which I felt quite certain was that of his own life, was more than I could understand. Moreover, why, having told it me, he should have so suddenly requested me to think no more about it, only adding to my bewilderment. The incident of the two men and the extraordinary conjuring trick, for conjuring trick it certainly was in the real meaning of the word he had shown us, did not help to elucidate matters. If the truth must be told, it rather added to the mystery than detracted from it. To sum it all up, I found that when I endeavoured to fit the pieces of the puzzle together, remembering also his strange remark concerning Miss Trevor, that I was far from coming to any conclusion as I had been at the beginning. You can have no idea how nervous I have been on your account tonight, said my wife when I reached her room. After dinner, the Duke gave us a description of Dr. Nicholas' room and told us its history. When I thought of your being there alone with him, I must confess I felt almost inclined to send a message to you, imploring you to come home. That would have been a great mistake, my dear, I answered. You would have offended Nicola, and we don't want to do that. I'm sorry the Duke told you that terrible story. He should not have frightened you with it. What did Gertrude Trevor think of it? She did not say anything about it, my wife replied, but I could see that she was as frightened as I was. I am quite sure you would not get either of us to go there, however pressing Dr. Nicholas' invitation might be. Now tell me what he wanted to see you about. Felt lonely and wanted some society, I answered, having resolved that on no account would I tell her all the truth concerning my visit to the Palace Ravici. He also wanted me to witness something connected with the scheme he has originated for enabling people to get out of the country unobserved by the police. Before I left, he gave me a good example of the power he possessed. I then described to her the arrival of the two men and the lesson Nicola had read to the police agent. The portion dealing with the conjuring trick I omitted. No good could have accrued from frightening her, and I knew that the sort of description I should be able to give of it would not be sufficiently impressive to enable her to see it in the light I desired. In any other way, it would have struck her as ridiculous. The man grows more and more extraordinary every day, she said, and not the least extraordinary thing about him is the way he affects other people. For my own part, I must confess that while I fear him, I like him. The Duke is frankly afraid of him. You are interested and repelled in turn. Or Gertrude, I fancy, regards him as a sort of supernatural being who may one day turn into a horse or a dog at a moment's notice, or Signor Galagatti, with whom I had a short conversation today concerning him, was so enthusiastic in his praises that for once words failed him. He had never met anyone so wonderful, he declared. He would lay down his life for him. It would appear that on one occasion, when Nicola was staying at the hotel, he cured Galagetti's eldest child of diphtheria, the child was at the last gasp and the doctors had given her up. When Nicola made his appearance upon the scene, what he did, or how he did it, Galagetti did not tell me, but it must have been something decidedly irregular, for the other doctors were aghast and left the house in a body. 
the child however rallied from that moment and as galaghetti proudly informed me is now de artiste of great repute upon de pianoforte in paris i have never heard of her but it would appear that galaghetti not only attributes her life but also her musical success to the fact that nicola was staying in the hotel at the time when the child was taken ill the duke was with me when galaghetti told me this and when he heard it he turned away with an exclamation that sounded very like humbug i do hope that dr nicola and the duke won't quarrel as she put this in the form of a question i felt inclined to reply with the expression the duke had used i did not do so however but contented myself with assuring her that she need have no fears upon that score a surprise however was in store for me what have they to quarrel about i asked they have nothing in common and it proves how blind you are to what goes on around you my wife replied have you not noticed that they both admire gertrude trevor falling so pat upon my own thoughts this gave me food for serious reflection do you know that nicola admires her i asked a little sharply i fear for when one has uncomfortable suspicions one is not always best placed to find that another shares them a double suspicion might be described as almost amounting to a certainty i am confident of it she replied did you not notice his manner towards her on the night of the excursion it was most marked my dear girl i said irritably if you are going to begin this sort of thing you don't know where you will find yourself in the end nicola has been a wanderer all his life he has met people of every nationality of every rank and description it is scarcely probable charming though i am prepared to admit she is that he would be affected by our friend besides i had it from his own lips this morning that he will never marry you may be just as certain as you please she answered nevertheless i adhere to my opinion knowing what was in my own mind and feeling that if the argument continued i might let something slip that i should regret i withdrew from the field and having questioned her concerning certain news she had received from england that day bade her good night the next morning we paid a visit to the palace of the doges spent a pleasant and instructive couple of hours in the various rooms whatever nicholas feelings may have been there was by this time not the least doubt that the duke admired miss trevor though the lad had known her for so short a time he was already head over ears in love i think gertrude was aware of the fact and i feel sure that she liked him but whether the time was not yet ripe or her feminine instinct warned her to play her fish for a while before attempting to land him i cannot say at any rate she more than once availed herself of an opportunity and moved away from him to take her place at my side as you may suppose glenbarth was not rendered any the happier by these manoeuvres indeed by the time we left the palace he was as miserable as a human being as could have been found in all of venice before lunch however she relented a little toward him and when we sat down to the meal in question our friend had in some measure recovered his former spirits not so my wife however though i did not guess it i was in for a wigging how come you treat the poor fellow so badly she said indignantly when we were alone together afterwards if you're not very careful you'll spoil everything spoil what i inquired as if i did not understand to what she alluded you've lately developed a habit of speaking in riddles fiddle-dee-dee she answered scornfully you know very well to what i allude i think your conduct at the palace this morning was disgraceful you a married man and a father try and spoil the pleasure of that poor young man she began it i answered in self-defence did you not see that she preferred my company to his 
of course that was only make-believe my wife replied you are as well aware of that as i am i know nothing of the kind i returned if the girl does not know her own mind then it is safer than she should pretend as she did to-day she was not pretending you know that gertrude trevor is as honest as the day then you admit that she was only playing her fish i said if you are going to be vulgar i shall leave you she retorted i don't know what you mean by playing her fish gertrude only came to you because she did not want to allow her liking for the duke to appear too conspicuous it's the same thing in the end i answered believe me it is you describe it as not making her conduct appear too conspicuous well i call it playing her fish i have the best possible recollection of a young lady who used to play quoits with me on the deck of the oratoba a good many years ago one day we were approaching naples at the time she played game after game with the doctor and snubbed me unmercifully you know very well i didn't mean it she answered with a stamp of her foot you know i had to act as i did i don't mind admitting that i replied nevertheless you were playing your fish that night after dinner you forgave me and she slipped her arm through mine and gave it a hug i could afford to be generous those were the dear old days were they not for one i am not going to quarrel about them and let's go and find the others we discovered them in the balcony listening to some musicians on a gondola below miss trevor plainly hailed her coming with delight the duke however was by no means so well pleased he did his best however to conceal his chagrin going to the edge of the balcony i looked down at the boat the musicians were four in number two men and two girls and at the moment of our putting in an appearance one of them was singing the ave maria from the cavalleria rusticana in a manner that i had seldom heard it sung before she was a handsome girl and knew the value of her good looks beside her stood a man with a guitar and i gave a start as i looked at him did my eyes deceive me or was this the man who had accompanied the police agent to nicholas residence on the previous evening i looked again and i felt that i could not be mistaken he possessed the same bullet head and the close-cropped hair the same clean-shaven face the same peculiarly square shoulders no i felt sure that he was the man but if so what was he doing here under our windows one thing was quite apparent if he recognised me he did not give me evidence of the fact he played and looked up at us without the slightest sign of recognition to all intents and purposes he was the picture of indifference while they were performing i recalled the scene of the previous night and wondered what had become of the police officer and what the man below me had thought of the curious trick nicola had performed it was only when they had finished their entertainment and having received our reward were about to move away that i received any information to the effect that the man had recognised me illustrious senora senorita and senors i thank you he said politely lifting his hat as he spoke our performance has been successful and the obstacle which threatened it at one time has been removed the gondola then passed on i turned to the duke as if for an explanation at first the hall porter was not inclined to let them sing here the duke remarked but miss trevor wanted to hear them so i sent word down that i wished them to remain in spite of the explanation i understood to what the man had referred but for the life of me could not arrive at his reason for visiting our hotel that day i argued that it might have been all a matter of chance but i soon put that idea aside as absurd the coincidence was too remarkable at lunch my wife announced that she had heard that morning that lady beltringham the wife of our neighbour in the forest was in venice 
and staying at a certain hotel further along the Grand Canal. Gertrude and I are going to call upon her this afternoon, she said, so that you two gentlemen must amuse yourselves as best you can without us. That is very easily done, I answered. The Duke is going to have his hair cut, and I'm going to witness the atrocity. You may expect to see him return, not unlike that man with the guitar in a boat this morning. By the way, said Glenbarth, that reminds me, I was going to point out a curious thing to you concerning that man. Did you notice, Miss Trevor, that when we were alone together in the balcony, he did not once touch his instrument, but directly Hatteras and Lady Hatteras arrived, he jumped up and began to play. This confirmed my suspicions. I had quite come to the conclusion by this time that the man had only made his appearance before the hotel, in order to be certain of my address. Yet I had to ask myself, if he were in Nicola's employ, why should he have to be anxious to do so? An hour later the ladies departed on their polite errand, and the Duke and I were left together. He was not what I should call a good companion. He was in an irritable mood. Nothing I could do or say seemed to comfort him. I knew very well what was the matter, and when we had exhausted English politics and the rise and fall of Venice, Ruskin, and the advantages of foreign travel, I mentioned incidentally the name of Miss Trevor. The frown vanished from his face, and he answered like a coherent mortal. Look here, Hatteras, he said with a fine burst of confidence. You and I have been friends for a good many years, and I think we know each other about as well as two men can do. That is so, I answered, wondering what he was driving at. We've been through some strange adventures together, and should certainly know each other. I hope that you are not going to propose that we should depart on some harem-scarum expedition, like that you wanted me to join you in last year, to the Pamirs, was it not? If so, I can tell you once and for all that my lady won't hear of it. Confound the Pamirs, he replied angrily. Is it likely that I should think of going there just now? You misunderstand my meaning entirely. What I want is a sympathetic friend who can enter into my troubles and, if possible, help me out of them. For the life of me, I could not forbear from teasing him for a little longer. My dear old fellow, I said, you know that I will do anything I possibly can to help you. Take my advice and get rid of the man at once. As I told you in my letter to you before you left England, it is only misplaced kindness to keep him on. You know very well that he's been unfaithful to you for some years past. Then why allow him to continue in his wrongdoing? The smash will come sooner or later. What do you mean, he asked. Well, I suppose your trouble is connected with the agent you were telling me of yesterday. The man who it was discovered had been cooking the accounts, selling your game, pocketing the proceeds, and generally feathering his own nest at your expense. An ominous frown gathered upon my friend's forehead. Upon my word, he said, I really believe you're taking leave of your senses. Do you think I'm bothering myself at such a time about that wretched Mitchell? Let him sell every beast upon the farms, every head of game. And in point of fact, let him swindle me as he likes, and I wouldn't give a second thought to him. I'm very sorry, I answered penitently, rolling the leaf of my cigar. And it was the yacht you were thinking about. You have what I consider a very good offer for it. Let her go. You're rich enough to be able to build another and the work will amuse you. You want employment of some sort. I'm not thinking of the yacht either, he growled. You know that as well as I do. How should I know it, I answered. I'm not able to tell you what is in your mind. I do not happen to be like Nicola. 
you are singularly obtuse today he asserted throwing what remains of his cigar in the canal and taking another from his case look here i said you're pitching into me because i can't appreciate your position now how am i likely to be able to do so considering that you've told me nothing about it before we left london you informed me that the place you had purchased in warwickshire was going to prove your chief worry in life i said sell it again then you found that your agent in yorkshire was not what he might be i advised you to get rid of him you would not do so because of his family then you confessed in a most lugubrious fashion that your yacht was practically becoming unseaworthy by reason of her age i suggested that you should sell her to deeside who likes her or part with her for a junk you vowed you would not do so because she was a favourite now you are unhappy and i naturally suppose that it must be one of these things which is causing you uneasiness you scout the idea what therefore am i to believe upon my word my friend if i did not remember that you have always declared your abhorrence of the sex i should begin to think you must be in love he looked at me out of the corner of his eye i pretended not to notice it however and still rolled the leaf of my cigar would it be such a very mad thing if i did fall in love he asked at last my father did so before me and i believe my grandfather did also you yourself committed the same indiscretion and have you seen the miserable result i have observed one of the happiest couples in the world he replied but joking apart hatteras i want to talk the matter over with you seriously i don't mind telling you at once that as between friend and friend that i want to marry miss trevor i endeavoured to look surprised but i fear the attempt was a failure may i remind you i said you have only known her barely a week i don't want to discourage you but is not your affection of rather quick growth it is but it does not mean that i am not the less sincere i tell you candidly dick i have never seen such a girl in my life she would make any man happy very likely but would any man make her happy his face fell and he shifted uneasily in his chair confound you he said you put everything in a new light why should i not be able to make her happy there are lots of women who would give their lives to be a duchess i admit that i answered i don't fancy however your rank will make much difference with miss trevor when a woman is a lady and in love she doesn't mind very much whether the object of her affections is a duke or a chimney-sweep don't make the mistake of believing that a dukedom counts for everything where the heart is concerned we outsiders should have no chance at all if that were the case but hatteras he said i didn't mean that i'm not such a cad as to imagine that miss trevor would marry me simply because i happen to have a handle to my name i want to put the matter plainly before you told you that i love her do you think there's any chance of her taking a liking to me and now that you have told me what is in your mind i answered i can safely state my opinion mind you i know nothing about the young lady's ideas but if i were a young woman and an exceedingly presentable young man you may thank me for the compliment afterwards were to lay his heart at my feet especially when that heart is served up on strawberry leaves and five-pound notes i fancy i should be inclined to think twice before i discouraged his advances whether miss trevor will do so however is quite another matter then you are not able to give me any encouragement i will wish you godspeed upon your enterprise i said if that is any satisfaction to you i cannot do more as i said it i held up my hand which he took and shook god bless you old man he said you don't know what all this means to me i've suffered agonies these last two days i believe i should go mad if it continued yesterday she was kindness itself 
Today she would scarcely speak to me. I believe Lady Hatteras takes my side. I was not to be caught napping. You must remember that Lady Hatteras herself is an impressionable young woman, I answered. She likes you and believes in you. Because she does, she thinks her friend ought to do so also. Now look here, Your Grace. You needn't put on any side of that kind, he answered reproachfully. I believe I'm talking to the Duke of Glenblath, I returned. You are talking to your old friend, the man who went round the world with you, if that's what you mean, he answered. What does he have to say? I want you to plainly understand that Miss Trevor is my guest. I want you also to realise, however difficult it may be, that you have only known her a very short time. She is a particularly nice girl, as you yourself have admitted. It would be scarcely fair, therefore, if I were to permit you to give her the impression that you were in love with her until you have really made up your mind. Think it well over. Take another week, or shall we say a fortnight? A month would be better still. He groaned in despair. You might as well say a year while you're about it. What is the use of my waiting even a week when I know my own mind already? Because you must give your affection time to set. Take a week. At the end of that time, you're still as much in earnest as you are now. Well, the matter will be worth thinking about. Then you can speak to the young lady or not as you please. On the other hand, should your opinion have changed, then I've been your only confidant and no harm has been done. If she accepts you, I can honestly say that no one will be more delighted than myself. If not, you must look elsewhere, and then she must marry the man she likes better. Do you agree? As I can't help myself, I suppose I must, he answered, but my position during the next week is not likely to be a very cheerful one. I don't see at all why, I replied. Lots of others have been compelled to do their courting under harder auspices. Myself, for instance. Here you are, staying in the same house as the object of your affections. You meet her almost every hour of the day. You have innumerable opportunities of paying your court to her. And yet with all these advantages, you abuse your lot. I know I'm an ungrateful beast, he said. By Jove, Dick, when one is as much in love as I am with the most adorable woman in the world, and matters don't seem to go right, one ought to be excused if one feels inclined to quarrel with somebody. Quarrel away with all your heart. And now I'm going down with you to the hairdresser. After that, we'll go to the piazza. I suppose I must, he said, rising from his chair with a fine air of resignation. And what fun you can discover in that crowd, I cannot for the life of me imagine. I did not remind him that on the previous afternoon he had declared it to be the most amusing sight in Europe. That would have been an unfair advantage to have taken, particularly as I had punished him enough already. We accordingly procured our hats and sticks and having secured a gondola set off. It was a lovely afternoon, and the Grand Canal was crowded. As we passed the entrance to the Rio del Consiglio, I stole a glance at the Palace of Vichy. No gondola was at the door, so whether Nicola was at home or abroad, I could not say. When Glenbath had been operated upon, we proceeded to the Piazza of St. Mark, which we reached somewhat before the usual afternoon promenade. The band had not commenced to play, and the idlers were few in number. Having engaged two chairs at one of the tables, we sat down and ordered coffee. The Duke was plainly ill at ease. He fretted and fidgeted continually. His eyes scarcely wandered from the steps of the lagoon, and every gondola that drew up received his scrutinising attention. When at last two ladies disembarked and made their way across the stones towards Florian's calf, where we were seated, I thought he would have made an exhibition of himself. Lady Beltringham, it would seem, had arrived, but was so fatigued by a long journey 
as she was unable to receive visitors. We returned almost immediately to the hotel, my wife said reproachfully. We thought you'd have waited for us there. Glen Bath looked at me as nothing I could ever do would make up for the enormity of my offence. He then described to Miss Trevor some wonderful photographs he had discovered that morning in a certain shop on the other side of the piazza. She questioned him concerning them, and I suggested they should go off and overhaul them. This they did, and when they departed, my wife produced some letters for me as she had taken from the rack at the hotel. I looked at the writing on the envelope of the first, but for a moment could not recall where or when I had seen it before. Then I opened it and withdrew the contents. Why, it's from George Anstruther, I exclaimed, when I examined their signature. He's in Algiers. Well, what's the letter about, my wife inquired. You've not heard from him for so long. I'll read it, I said, and began as follows. My dear Hatteras, here I am in the most charming place in the whole Mediterranean, and I ought to know, for I've seen and loathed all the others. My villa overlooks the sea, and my yacht rides at anchor in the bay. There are many nice people here, and not the least pleasant is my very good friend, Don Jose de Martinos, who is leaving today for his first visit to Venice, via Nice, and I understand from him that he is to stay at your hotel. He is a delightful creature, and has seen much of the world, and if you will admit him to the circle of your acquaintance, I don't think you will regret it. I need not bore either myself or you by repeating the hackneyed phrases to the effect that any civility you show him will be considered a kindness to myself, etc., etc. Remember me most kindly to Lady Hatteras, and believe me to be, ever sincerely yours, George Anstruther. My wife uttered a little cry of vexation. Pleasant though he may prove, cannot help saying that I am sorry Don Jose Martinos is coming, she said. Our little party of four was so happily arranged, and who knows but that a fifth may upset its peace altogether. But he is Anstruther's friend, I said in expostulation. One must be civil to one's friends, friends. I do not at all see why, she answered. As we like Mr. Anstruther, it does not follow that we shall like his friend. At that moment, the young couple were to be observed crossing the piazza in our direction. Glenbarth carried a parcel under his arm. I don't think there's much doubt about that affair, said my wife, as she regarded them approvingly. Don't be too sure, I answered. There is many a slip twixt the cup and the lip, and there's another old saying to the effect that those who live longest see most. One is sometimes oracular, even in jest. End of chapter 5